Welcome to Fragments of Blue. Join Grace and Laura each week as they discuss the power of Scripture to guide us through life's complexity into a greater love of God. Welcome back to Fragments of Blue. I'm Laura. And I'm Grace. And by request, we're going to talk about Christianity in the workplace. And I think everybody that works, especially in in a secular environment, knows that living out your faith can be tricky. You can feel very alone. At least I know I've felt that before. Yeah. And I think it is becoming increasingly difficult as even within the corporate world, there is pressure mm-hmm. to kind of vocalize a particular moral vision yeah. and require that employees participate in that moral vision. So I think it is becoming more challenging to know exactly how to walk the line of being winsome and tactfully agreeable while mm-hmm. simultaneously being a legitimate light. Right. Yeah. Because we know, unfortunately, that these days people have lost jobs because they've not flown like a pride flag during June or something, you know, like even just trying to not participate, even not being vocal against it, just not participating can sometimes feel like you're on the line. Mm -hmm. Right. And I do think it is important to say, like, I think sometimes depending on the circle Mm -hmm. certain Christians are in, I think they maybe have a hard time believing that this can be a difficult thing for other people Mm -hmm. or for other Christians. And, you know, and the comment is, is like, you know, as Christians, we don't want to like claim as if somehow we're like enduring incredible persecution. Like, let's not exaggerate these claims about how hard it is to be a Christian today. And I think there's some truth to that. At the same time, depending on the sort of job you have, it can be very different and the culture that you're in. Mm -hmm. For example, if you are a teacher and you teach social studies, Mm -hmm. you are like your job requires you to encounter on the daily the most controversial topics. And you are in a position often of weakness in terms of your rights before the student and the parent and the principal. So a person like that will experience, I think, a more difficulty than, say, I don't know, a math teacher, just by comparison. Hmm. They, they will more naturally run up against things like that. But I think even those sorts of things are being changed, too. I I know someone who is in construction. Like, this is what they do, is go on job sites, and that's their job. And you think, this has got to be the least touchy top, <laughs> touchy <laughs> sort of work you could yeah. be in. And there was a requirement last year during Pride Month for all of the site managers to wear and fly pride flags on the sites. So this is expanding. It is mm-hmm. getting more difficult. I think there's always been a certain kind of pressure in any secular workplace Mm -hmm. to fit into what is really an immoral world. Like, I'm just thinking about times where I worked, for example, as a photo technician in my very early days of working. I started when I was 19. And I couldn't participate in a lot of the conversations with other employees because it was all about who they were sleeping with, you know, and, and those kind of things. So I think even if you don't have to face something coming down from corporate headquarters, as in fly these pride flags or something, you probably will be facing daily no matter what job you're in. Just because you're working inside of a secular environment, you'll be coming face to face with moral decisions every day. 
Yes, and I think sometimes even those smaller things are perhaps overlooked and are really the areas of most compromise amongst believers mm -hmm. because they feel like, okay, I obviously can't do this or can't participate in that. Mm -hmm. Perhaps I can engage in gossip or yeah. laugh at these, you know, obscene jokes. Yeah. And I think especially if you are of like an agreeable disposition and you are inclined to really want people to think well of you and keep peace with the workers around you. And I think it's, it's, this is particularly common amongst people who are really socially adept. It's for people who are really socially adept, who sense the change in like social climate and temperature. And with that sensitivity, I think comes like the pressure to want to do really well mm -hmm. socially. Then I think there can be the pressure to give way in, in little ways that I really think does massive damage to your soul <laughs> and to your testimony. Especially over time, or, or sometimes I think it it kind of like wheedles its way into you without you even realizing it. Like I know of different people that have worked in industries, for example, where swearing is just really, really common. Yes, yeah. And it becomes increasingly hard for it not to become part of their vocabulary because everyone around them is using it all the time. Mm -hmm. Every sentence is riddled with the F word. And I know a lot of even Christian friends who've been in that environment and said, well, you know, it's just, you know, it's not taking God's name in vain. I was like, yeah, but we do have verses in the Bible where it's like talking about letting no unwholesome talk come out of our mouth, no cursing, no swearing. Like it goes beyond just taking God's name in vain. And I think that you can keep guard over your tongue. You can ask God to help you so that it doesn't work its way in. And it does set you apart as an example. It is amazing how that, that really alone. is a substantial mm -hmm. thing. Like I know for my husband who is in the military, the fact that he doesn't swear sets him apart not only from the non-Christians, but from everyone, mm -hmm. regardless of their religious affiliation, yeah. because he is one of the only consistent people in that area. And it is noticeable. He has had people tell him, you are the religious one. Mm -hmm. And you can read that as like a negative comment, like, oh, he, I think we associate like being religious with the word hypocrisy or Pharisee or mm -hmm. whatever. But, but I mean, the point is, is that just depends on the rest of your testimony <laughs> yeah. as well, yes. right? Yeah. yeah, I think, I think in some ways, language is one of the first things that can be resolved upon. I know that people sometimes slip in the area of language. And while I think it's an easy slip, I also think it's a, it's one of the... E when you consider all the difficulties of compromise and where you're pressured, guarding your language is one of the first things that can be guarded fairly easily. Mm -hmm. And I've heard Christians say who have struggled with language in the workplace, that there is a moment where like they became aware that they mm -hmm. were starting to use foul language. And when they kind of e either were confronted or were convicted about it and realized mm -hmm. it, there was a decision. Mm -hmm. It's like they had to kind yeah. of come to this point where they're like, I am going to stop. And then they did. Yeah. And it's this funny thing where there has to be a moment of resolve yeah. and, and a choosing, are you going to follow God? in this way as mm -hmm. as the Christian is called to live. And it's very concrete and specific. Like those sorts of sins are sometimes the, I, I don't want to make it sound like it's effortless. It's not. But you know, sin, sins of yeah. thought mm -hmm. and sins of emotional reaction are sometimes very, very hard, like truly years to kind of really work at. Mm -hmm. But sometimes if it's just one word, like I remember a few years ago, 
I would say the word crap. Nathaniel didn't like it, and I don't like it either. <laughs> um, but it was definitely a habit. And as soon as mm -hmm. I decided that I wasn't going to say it anymore, I just didn't. Mm -hmm. I do know that actually that's probably more possible than we think it is, or that yes. we try and justify away reasons that it's too hard, or I just say this without thinking. But I was just thinking as you were talking about that, when I moved to Israel, people I was working with spoke English the majority of time, but with a lot of other words from Hebrew kind of thrown in. And I remember there was a point where I found myself just like testing out how those Hebrew words sounded interspersed in English. And everybody there understood what I meant as I said these certain Hebrew words. And they weren't they weren't swearing. It was just like stam, for example. Stam just is like uh means kind of like just because, but you can use it in a huge variety of things. And so I remember like testing them out in my mouth. And there's like this conscious decision. Everybody's using it. You learn it in context. You're not really changing your whole language. You're inviting certain words into it. And I think that's similar with swearing mm -hmm. in the workplace. Like there is, I think, a moment at the beginning, the very first time you're deciding, am I going to join them in this language or not? Mm -hmm where you are making a decision even then. Yes. And I think if if at that point you just say, no, I'm not going to use it, I'm not inviting that language in, it won't become part of your vocabulary. Yeah. I think the thing that comes to mind is, I mean, it's the classic passage when discussing the issue of being in the workplace is Daniel and his friends resolving not to defile yeah. themselves. And so I think, I mean, we're getting on language. Obviously, this <laughs> yeah. is like a huge topic. But I think that is a significant point, that if you are a Christian in the workplace, there does need to be a deliberate thought, a like a, a deliberate time of like deciding what is this for? Mm -hmm. Like, what is my time here for? Who do I belong to? And yeah. then resolving. Who do I serve? Yes. Yeah. And I think the kind of just passivity in the workforce in Christians, I think is just the most dangerous thing. Yeah. We, we will f go with the flow and to do anything other than that is going to take an unusual resolve. Mm -hmm. The word resolve is so funny for me because it's the word my dad used at my wedding when he gave, when it was my parents turned to give a speech. Mm -hmm. And of course my dad is always going to exhort <laughs> <laughs> and teach. And he said, marriage requires resolve. <laughs> but I feel like more and more Christians need to enter the workforce mm -hmm. with this sense that to be a Christian here faithfully mm -hmm. is going to require resolve. Mm -hmm. And instead of and entering I naively. don't leave my spiritual life outside the doors of yeah. my employment, right? Like yeah. I am a Christian inside and outside of my workplace. Mm -hmm. And that, yeah, that does take resolve because I think we know that being a Christian in the secular world is not welcomed, or at least it feels that way. Yeah, and I think yeah. even within churches, we tell each other that that's true. But I had this experience when I was, was a photo tech. And my first day on that job, I overheard a conversation between two of my new co-workers. And one of the women was talking about this Christian that she heard talking in the coffee shop and how a she was by them because they were just talking openly about their faith. And I was like, oh, that's, oh, I have to be careful around her. Like she was angry and like swearing all over the place, like how awful that was and that shouldn't be allowed in public. And I was like, oh, I'm going to have a hard time with her. <laughs> yeah. But it was interesting because I'd say, like I got to know her 
And she soon discovered I was a Christian. And within a few months, she'd asked me to pray for her. Hmm. And I was so shocked because the very first day, she was livid that someone spoke about their Christian faith openly in a coffee shop where everybody could hear it. Like, that's how anti-Christian she was. So I think the difference was within a few months, she'd established a relationship with me. And she'd already learned slowly (laughs) that I'd been a Christian. And it gave me opportunity to speak to her about faith when I really, I did not expect that she would ever let me talk to her about it. But she did in the end. And we got along fine, which I didn't expect. But I never, you know, I'm not one to swear. That's not actually been an issue for me. So that, that wasn't hard, but it did set me apart for sure, quickly. They knew I didn't sleep around. That also set me apart pretty quickly. So there was different things that kind of soon let them know, like, okay, <laughs> she's she's different than us. But it also meant that they, when they needed prayer, when they were curious about something spiritual, they knew they could come to me. Well, it's not, I think there must have been something more even just than that you were spiritual. You must have shown yourself to be trustworthy yeah. and not malicious. Because mm-hmm. I think... I think people in the workforce where there is gossiping and speaking and be speaking about other people right. in frustration, it's not likely they're going to go to the people they know that to do that to have your deeper kind of moments right. of vulnerability. Yeah. And I, th- I think that is significant too, showing that you are a trustworthy person. You won't speak mm-hmm. badly of people. It is funny how actually in the workplace, language really is so significant. One of the things that I think is really dangerous that doesn't have to do with swearing or gossiping, but I think is a um, temptation that is a bit more subtle, is non-believers often speak in a way that is very worldly, Mm -hmm. where they put forth statements of morality or what is right or wisdom that is foolish mm-hmm. or that is like sinful or I, mean, I think the word foolish maybe is a little bit more accurate and I think it is important that the Christian for the sake of not wanting to just appear agreeable kind of enter in on that kind of worldly level of conversations mm-hmm. so like I'm, I'm going to give an example of someone I know who talked to me about how she had done this thing and she wished later on that she hadn't. She was dating a person and this person is a Christian mm-hmm. and she had lots of work friends, but they were almost all non-believers. And she said she talked to them about the relationship. And so they, she'd get like feedback from mm-hmm. them. And later her comment was like, it's not godly. Like some of yeah. it even seems kind of wise in the moment. Like, I can't believe you let him do that. Mm. Or like, you have got to make sure that you're healthy. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, there's things that, like, have this kind yeah. of germ. Or happy. Or... <laughs> yeah. But you're like, don't don't make these people your confidants. Right. Don't go to these people as if you have a sense of their superior wisdom. Right. You know, it, like, it, it legitimately makes me think about when Paul talks to the Corinthians and says, obviously, this is more dramatic, but, like, you're taking Christ- fellow Christians to court but you guys are supposed to have wisdom. You're going to the world to solve your problems. You guys are supposed to be the ones capable of knowing 
truth and being wise. You have access to the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. You have the Bible. How are you not the clear source of wise living in the group? And I think sometimes Christians put themselves on an equal by putting themselves under or with and Mm -hmm. mixing on in that way in their conversation. And it changes their thinking. I really think it changes a Christian person's thinking to become more worldly. I was just thinking about what some of the things the world says these days are toxic in a relationship that are actually godly. So for example, a wife submitting to her husband. Yeah. The Bible talks about that. Mm -hmm. But the world hears that word submission. We talked about this actually early, early on in our podcast. We called it dirty words. They'll hear the word submission and think like you're being abused. Yes. And they'll call it toxic. But there can be a real beauty and a real health in relationships mm-hmm. where the wife does submit to her husband mm-hmm. as unto the Lord. That I, I think that's just like a very small minor yes, one. But and it, but I think that principle, this idea, what the world calls good and what mm-hmm. the world calls evil, is not what we do. So don't engage in conversations with them and and kind of have this naive openness to things mm-hmm. of the world. Yeah. When I was first looking at this topic, immediately coming to mind was someone that I know named Peter Demas. I worked with him on a book that he wrote about Christianity in the workplace and bringing faith into your jobs. And he's his book is called Afraid to Trust. It's actually quite good. It's about how he came to faith. So he was very antagonistic previously to Christians until he came to faith himself. And he was so transformed. And he's like, my work is not about me and it's not about a salary. So he's a restaurateur in in Tennessee. He's got quite a few restaurants around Nashville. And he's like, I have an opportunity here in my workplace to share life with people, eternal life. I have to take that opportunity. And so he, as the owner of the restaurants, started to do things that he thought would maybe bless his employees. Like he hired chaplains in the States. They have this kind of chaplaincy program where you can hire chaplains that will kind of be on call for your workers. So he hired, I think, maybe just one to start, one or two. But it grew the more his employees started to to really use them. And the chaplains ended up kind of being like free mental health, I think, for a lot of his employees, but in a in a really Christian sort of wise way. And so at first, it seemed like maybe they didn't know if they wanted to use the chaplains of all people. But more and more of the workers started to really appreciate the help that they would get, and they started to use them. Um, and he started doing Bible studies that they were welcome to attend, and prayer meetings, with his staff. And he thought like, yeah, now I'm really like bringing God into it. And then he had a conversation with someone that was kind of instrumental in bringing him to faith. And he kept talking about like all the things he's trying to do to bring Christ into the workplace. And the the person challenged him and was kind of saying like, just make him your CEO. (laughs) Like he's your general manager. He's in charge. Think of God as that. He's over you. You're employed by God and things things will naturally start to change. And one of the things that he did was restaurants are often open on Sundays. They do a lot of business, post-church especially, (laughs) crowds. And he's like, I just think I can't be open on Sundays. And that'll kill a lot of business, but I think I have to close. And so he did. (laughs) He he closed on Sundays. Wow. And 
like for a restaurateur, that was a big risk monetarily. And then someone gave him the idea to open for breakfast. And he's like, oh, I never thought of that. So then for weekends, he would open for breakfast. And he ended up making enough just in the breakfasts to cover what he would have made on a Sunday, which was a huge amount of money because that was like their best day of the week generally. And so he was just talking about like just honoring God. It seemed like such a risk, but it's never really a risk to follow Jesus. I've been feeling more and more that, I mean, this isn't a, this isn't a necessary thing. This is Mm -hmm. more like kind of a prudence or wisdom thing that I've been thinking more. Like as things do get more difficult for Christians in the workplace, Mm -hmm. I'm beginning to appreciate the value of people being independent business people. Mm -hmm. Like think about this friend who has this opportunity to be such a blessing and because he can operate with a level of autonomy. Mm -hmm. And I know I have some family who's become friends recently with some lovely Christian people down in Calgary who have their own business. And they're doing things like this one Christian guy and with his business, they give away 50% of all the company's earnings to Christian charities. Mm-hmm. And then he's put a, a, like a fairly substantial cap on his own income. So I think he has, like, yeah. even though he's, I think, the CEO, he has workers who make more than him. And you think, oh, that's such a, an opportunity to be such a blessing. Yeah. And you can be a huge blessing to the Christian community by offering jobs in an environment where there is safety for Christians. Mm-hmm. And I know this is something that's talked about in the Benedict Option. And I really do think it's worth considering when we talk about Christians in the workplace. I think it it's worth considering Christians being kind of tactical. And if you are a business-minded person, yeah. to consider pursuing this with the goal of for the kingdom of God, like being a blessing to the church mm-hmm. and to to other believers. And you saw that this was a way that the early church had to operate to some extent because a lot of Christians in the Roman Empire did lose their jobs when they became Christians. They literally couldn't yeah. do their job anymore because of its association with certain activities. Mm-hmm. And there was a really close-knit Christian community as a result. And I just think that's such a fabulous vision, this idea of like, you know, these like chaplains where that's so cool. Obviously, not everyone's a business person, but it was just a thought that like, oh, Christians, this is a great opportunity. There totally is. Yeah. And I think even if you're not a Christian, like I would recommend his book, (laughs) Afraid to Trust, just because I think his story is so interesting. His conversion was quite dramatic and he really was changed. We talk about someone swearing in the workplace. He's like, the F word was every second word on my lips. And I then think it the was cooking changed. industry is quite is yeah. Pretty I think brutal. the restaurant industry, yeah. yeah, for sure, is like that. But he said, but my language changed. I quit swearing, and that was one of the first clues to people like something's different with Peter. But he he's like every aspect of him changed, and he didn't want to be who he was. But he wasn't who he was either. You know what I mean? Some of the things that he talks about were taking a chance on God and risking things, risking. Actually, since that book, one of the the restaurants that he'd really struggled with and a lot of things had gone wrong. It was like after he'd become a Christian, starting this one, it ended up closing just before COVID, actually. He sold it (laughs) and closed it and ended up starting something else that turned out to be such a blessing during COVID. But it felt like a failure. It felt like a failed business. 
just in that time period. And I remember talking to him about it and through like through that whole process and he was quite down and then seeing how God redeemed what seemed like failure. And I think that that can be the same in the workplace. We might have to stand up against certain talk or against certain, you know, immoral things happening or against corruption that's happened. I've had to go through some of that before and it doesn't always turn out to be financially great for for the person going through it. But are you being obedient? Yes. It's going to be good for your relationship with your heavenly father. And it's going to be good for you in the example that you set for other believers and for non-Christians alike. So it might be difficult sometimes, yes. And it might require a little bit of suffering, but it won't be <laughs> it won't be a bad thing in the end. Like Christ can definitely redeem it. And so yeah, it's worth it. Yes, I think I listened to this interview a few months ago that quite stuck with me where this is Jordan Peterson, so he's not Mm -hmm. a Christian, but he was being asked, you know, why do you think it's important that you say these kind of controversial things that you say when they are upsetting? Like, why should you stand now over these issues and be courageous now? Like, you know, maybe you should just stop saying Mm -hmm. it and maybe it's not important right now. Maybe you should do it later when the issue really matters. And his point was that the likelihood that you're going to be more courageous when it, the risk is greater is really low. And by the time you make all the little decisions between now and then, you might not even be the, the same person courageous enough to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something to that for the Christian, where if you are going to be faithful in the big things, you're going to have to make a lot of these little decisions towards faithfulness mm-hmm. that are going to transform you into a person who postures yourself to towards your work in a way that fundamentally says, I submit to Christ. Yeah. And if you don't do it in those little things, there's no reason to think that over the course of 10 years, you ha- will be the sort of believer that is actually going to remain faithful when you actually are called to a legitimately difficult test in the workplace to declare your faithfulness, declare your Mm -hmm. loyalties. And so I think so many of these things, the caution with words, even as seemingly insignificant as whether you swear, whether you gossip, Mm -hmm. whether you kind of seek advice from non-believers in your Mm -hmm. effort to be friendly with them, all of these things are these little things that are going to result in a slow transformation of you. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's on the kind of defensive side, you know, of keeping yeah. sin at bay. But And then there's also this other part of looking for the opportunity to, to show the glory and the opportunities that like living for God and pursuing a life of blessing and sacrifice really can, you know, the kind of richness that can produce. You know, what's interesting. I was just thinking about a friend of mine who is not a Christian yet, but has heard me give him so many Bible verses (laughs) and stuff through the years. And he's a manager of quite a large company in the United Arab Emirates. And he often tells me on the phone, like, Grace, people at work think I'm so wise but I just tell them what you told me. And he, he named something. And I was like, well, I just told you that's, that's from the Bible. You're just quoting Bible at them. <laughs> but I've had, it is so funny how if you don't, from the pressure of wanting to be one of the folks at work, yeah. if you instead speak as a believer, yeah. the wisdom of God, legitimately people are floored by you. Yeah. Yeah, like, so truly. here is this non-Christian and he's saying speaking the wisdom of God <laughs> to this other non like and this is in a Muslim country, you know, where it wouldn't necessarily be accepted, but they I mean they don't know what he's doing. He often doesn't know what he's doing. Um, 
<laughs> but I just think it's really interesting. Like people are hungry for the wisdom of God. Yes. And I think it will naturally come out of us more and more if we're steeped, if we are saturated with God's word, yeah. it will be part of us. Right? And it is such a loss to settle for the kind of quasi wisdom yeah. that the world has and to kind of participate in that in an effort to, um, there's so many motivations, but for comfort, you know, it's such a loss for them mm-hmm. not to see the transforming power of walking with Christ yes. and walking in the light and how the life of God is the life. It is the yes. only life and it should look distinctly different. So I feel like it's such a shame not to give them the vision of the higher thing. Yeah. In an effort to And being maintain. honest, like being yeah. honest that it's not easy. Yeah. Like with yeah. this guy, he's sometimes said like, why are you a Christian? Why not something else? And I'd be like, because I believe it's the truth. And he's like, but isn't it hard? I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> but I, I'm like, I'm staking my life on this being the truth. And I think if people that we work with in secular environments know that you're not being a Christian to be stuffy, you're a Christian because you're staking your life that this is true. Your eternity, not just your life now. Like, yeah, my life would probably be easier in the workplace if I was just like you. But I'm not like you because Christ has transformed me. And this is how, like, telling that kind of truth to people, I think it does make them so curious, number one, and kind of hopeful because I think they know that there's something missing in their lives. Yes, I think where the Holy Spirit is working, you will find the occasional person who sees the Mm -hmm. light and sees that it is beautiful. And I, I think that is true. There will also be people who believe that you are the stench of death. Yeah. And yeah. and we have to be prepared for both. And that it's too hard for them. Yeah. Like, yeah. I always come back to that story with Jesus telling that mass group of followers that to follow me, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, we can't do it. It's too hard. Like, this, is, what are you talking about? And when he asked Peter why he didn't walk away, he says, you have the very words of eternal life. Where, Where else would we, we go? go? Yeah. And it's true. Like... Because of Christ in us, we have the words of eternal life that we should be offering to these people. They are dead in their sins. And we have an opportunity when we work with them, especially if we're working closely with someone, to show them and to speak it. Yes. To not just show them by being nice people at work. We have to speak it as well. Mm -hmm. The words of eternal life to Mm -hmm. them. And if they reject it, because this is another thing that I, I thought was kind of an interesting image. I saw this cartoon recently, and it had two people cuddling these things. One looked like a fuzzy stuffed animal, but it said lies on it. And the other had what looked like a spiky cactus, (laughs) and it said truth. And I think the truth can prick at people, and it's uncomfortable for people. But we need to embrace the truth because it's true. (laughs) To embrace lies does you no good. And I think we have to know that for our coworkers. They are dying They are dead already, actually. And we have the words of eternal life. Mm -hmm. We have the opportunity to speak it to them. Yeah. What it sounds to me like is that this stuff really comes naturally if you are so oriented Mm -hmm. towards Christ. Yeah. That reality is just, you simply walk according to reality. Yeah. That is the truth. You couldn't swear. You wouldn't want to. How could you do it? You know what I mean? And I think, obviously, there are areas where our life is not conformed to that reality. But if that is our goal, if that's Mm -hmm. what we're walking towards, I think those things do begin to fall in place. Yeah, I think so, too. And so that's what we have for you on Christianity in the Workplace. I hope it was helpful in some way to some of you. Feel free to message us if you have ideas for topics that you'd love to have us discuss. We'd love to do that. Thank you for listening to Pregnancy Blue. Join us again next time.